This Week in Startups is brought to you by Clavio helps brands build relationships across any distance, delivering email marketing moments your customers will appreciate, remember, and share. Visit Clavio.com slash twist to schedule a demo. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash twist. Fiverr. Find the perfect freelance services for your business. Go to Fiverr.com and use code TWIST to receive 10% off your first order. And Mint Mobile. Stop paying for unlimited data that you never use. Cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month and get a plan shipped to your door for free at mintmobile.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. We're in month two of quarantine uh, here in San Francisco. And it's been a trying time for everybody. But move forward is uh, the only thing we can do. Sometimes the way to get through something or the way to get to the other side is to go through it. And that's what we're doing right now. We're just going to go right through it, through the soup, through the muck, through the fog of this horrible, challenging moment. For the folks who are on the front lines, I just got to say it at the start and the end of every show, thank you. The Uber drivers, Uber Eats drivers, DoorDash, uh, Postmates, to the doctors and nurses and interns and the security guards, uh, the police, the firefighters, EMTs, the janitors, just everybody out there who's on the front line exposing themselves potentially uh, to this horrible virus. My God, thank you. Just thank you on behalf of everybody in the audience. And feels like we've saved a lot of lives. That's a great thing. But it feels like we've lost a lot of livelihoods. And uh, as I'm sitting here today taping, uh, got news that another 4 million Americans file for unemployment. That is about five, six, seven, eight times the record. But by the way, we've set a record every week, even as it's gone down a little bit every week. We still have over 25 million Americans filing for unemployment. 16, 20% of the workforce, depending on who numbers you count, are done. They're done. They're home. Jobs, gone. Maybe some come back. Uh, my gut tells me many do not. It's going to be a challenging time. We had record low unemployment. Um, and there's a lot of strife in the world. A lot of people believe the system's rigged. A lot of people believe that you cannot move up in the world, that it's a fixed caste system here in America. It's not true. I understand why people believe it. But I am on the front lines watching startups being formed, watching entrepreneurs create new things. I can tell you the majority of them. And when I say the majority, I mean the overwhelming majority of them. 70, 80% plus are nobodies who didn't go to some great college. They're not coming from Harvard Business School or Stanford or Penn, great schools all. I've spoken at all of them. They've got a case study on me at Stanford. How mind-blowing is that? You don't need those degrees. It's great that you get them sometimes if you're privileged enough or smart enough to, to hack the system or your parents paid to get you in there or bought some building or put your Photoshopped your head onto some badminton player to get you in there and paid somebody off whatever. The truth is, and now you know why people think the system is rigged, because in that case, it actually is. So you know what? My whole preamble makes no sense now, because the system is rigged <laughs> in some parts. But one thing that's not rigged, one thing that's not rigged, is the freedom you have at any point in time to start a company in America. It's not like that in China. Certainly not like that in North Korea, not in the Middle East. And even in Europe, 
starting a company, you're on the hook yourself personally for everybody's salary. So it's really hard. You got to make personal guarantees. Here in America, anybody can start a company anytime. You could do it this weekend. We talk about it all the time at thisweekinstartups.com slash Slack, our private Slack instance. It's secret, so don't tell anybody about it. But there's 14,000 people in there now all talking about startups all day long. But if you want to go on this journey and if you want to take advantage of living in this amazing country, as flawed as it is, as effed up as this situation and has exposed all the faults in our system, one thing that's perfect about our system is that you, living here in America, can start a company tomorrow. Even if you don't live in America, you can start a company here tomorrow in all likelihood. There's ways to do that too. But what you need is you need skills. And I know what you're going to say. Oh, I can't afford to get skills. I can't get into Harvard. My parents don't want to Photoshop me and hire somebody to put me on the tennis crew team, whatever that thing is when they go on the river and they row boats. I don't know what the point of it is. God damn it. There's one thing you can do. And people will tell you you can't is you could sit down and learn a goddamn skill. And nobody can stop you from doing that either. And you know what startups actually are at their core? They're products or services. And you know how products and services are made? They're made by people with skills. So there's no big mystery here. You're a human being with a pulse. Learn a goddamn skill and then build a product. And if you don't have a certain skill, either learn it or find somebody who wants to learn it or has learned it. At the core of those skills is building code. And as we know from the drama from Lambda School, which was on the podcast, I got to invest a little bit in that company, by the way, um, uh, which I have to disclose, full disclosure, put a little bet in there. Uh, it turns out you can even go to Lambda School and it's uh, deferred payment. So you're taking almost no risk. The only risk you're taking is a couple of uh, months of your life, which to me is no big risk. I and mean, we all got time. But in the process of talking about Lambda, I found out about something super interesting a free version of Lambda. It's called Free Code Camp. It's been going on since 2014. And I asked Quincy Larson, who is the founder of Free Code Camp, to come on the podcast. And he's here with me now. Uh, welcome to the pod, Quincy. Hey, thanks for having me. You heard my preamble there. Um, and before we get to business and talk about the incredible work you're doing, I want to know uh, if you're okay, if you've been impacted by this virus, and how you personally are holding up through all of this. I can't complain. Can't complain. Nobody impacted in your family, in your extended circles? We're fortunate. Uh, pretty much everybody in my family uh, is able to just hunker down and do our jobs remotely. Uh, my, my wife and I have just been working remotely and basically living remotely. We're in Dallas, Texas, uh, and we just stay out here. And the main difference for me personally is that my kids are home all day uh, and they're not in school. Yeah, that that's a blessing. And yeah, also I mean, very it's intense. A blessing. And yeah, very it, intense. It, but if that's all I have to complain about, the fact that it's harder for me to work because my kids are hanging around the house and I need to uh, help take care of them a little bit more. Like, yeah, small I've got price. absolutely nothing to complain about. Yeah, literally nothing to complain about. And if they jump on the podcast, now we used to be all <laughs> panicked. Like, if they jump on the podcast, now I go onto Zooms and people are like, oh, yeah, your kids are home. Yeah, have them come on the podcast. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, jump on the podcast with my attorney and my <laughs> venture capitalist. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody's taking showers. Nobody cares if your kids are screaming in the background. Dogs, if you're fighting, it doesn't matter. We're all in survival mode, and I love it. Tell everybody, um, just quickly and briefly and concisely, um, who you are and when you started and why you started Free Co-Camp. Sure. I'm Quincy Larson. Uh, I 
was a teacher and a school director in the U.S. and in China. And at some point, uh, I wanted to help my staff get more help more teachers uh, or I wanted these teachers to help more students and be able to spend more time with the students. So I did some basic Google searches and figured out some tools to automate some of our school's back office workflows. And uh, that's when I really realized, wow, I should learn more of this. Like we were able to completely revolutionize our school through just a few tools that I built as a layperson uh, without any formal programming experience. And then I went deep into that. I became a software engineer at a startup in Santa Barbara. And then I moved to San Francisco and just started working on a whole bunch of different tools around technology education. And eventually I created Free Code Camp about five years ago. And that's, that was the one that started to really uh, get traction and have a lot of people start using it. So how does Free Code Camp work if I am an individual who has never written a line of code? How does it work? Is it 12 weeks? Is it a year? Is it nine months? Do I come in person? Do I do it virtual? How does Free Code Camp manifest itself in the world as a product or service? So it's a community. We have a core curriculum that a lot of people work through, millions of people work through it, and it is completely self-paced. You can do it uh, at your own convenience. You don't have to go anywhere. Uh, It's totally free. You just go to a website and there's an interactive coding environment and you work through lesson after lesson after lesson. And after you finish about 3,000 hours worth of instructional design uh, of curricula, then you come out the other side. Having How many pretty, hours? It's about 3,000 hours. 3,000 hours. That's a full year of 60-hour weeks. Yeah. It's, that's the thing that you know marketers will say, oh, learning the code is not that hard. You can do it in 12 weeks or whatever. But what they're not telling you is you're going to be learning it, ramping up to you know, a coding boot camp or ramping up to getting, you know, a CS degree. And then after you get that credential, you're still going to be learning while you continue to job search. And you're still going to be learning once you get a job. Once you get a job, your first developer job, that's where the real learning begins. All right. How much does all this cost at Free Code Camp? What do you charge? It's it's totally free, as the name would imply. Ah, got it. I'm glad the joke landed. All right. right now, a bunch of people on the podcast are listening going, wait, did he just ask how much free code camp is? So it's free. Um, and uh, what I want to know when we get back from this quick break is how was there a spike in people signing up when the country went into quarantine when we get back on this week's show? All right. In uncertain times, supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers is going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. In good times and bad, open and empathetic communication with your customers is key. Email is and always will be the one best channel for this. You know this because I just invited you all by email to the This Week in Startup Slack and so many of you showed up. Email marketing is one of Clavio's core offerings. When you leverage personalization driven by a 360-degree view of the customer, all of your emails to your customers are going to feel more relevant and force a stronger relationship. You're going to see click-throughs go up and unsubscribes go down. Clavio understands how challenging it is for each and every entrepreneur to get their businesses off the ground. You know this because you're listening to This Week in Startups, let alone navigate these trying times. And it's hard right now out there for our founders. If you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, especially in this climate, you're not alone. Clavio is here to help brands build relationships across any distance. Create meaningful, memorable email marketing moments that last a lifetime with Clavio. That's K L A V 
K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash twist. Start a free trial today. K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash twist. K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash twist. Thanks, Clavio, for making an awesome product and supporting independent media like This Week in Startups. Thanks for tuning into This Week in Startups. If you want to join the super secret Slack with 14,000 members uh, in uh, week three, I think, um, go to thisweekinstartups.com slash Slack, and you can hang out with me and my team, super fans of the show, and a bunch of... Uh, dirty, rotten marketers and spammers trying to get you into the top of the funnel that we will absolutely ban for life. Banned about 10 people this week. One of them complained. And I said, well, if you didn't post your ebook like seven times, maybe the community would not have complained and ratted you out for being too aggressive. Isn't it amazing, Quizzy? You ever, when you're part of like an online community, like I don't know if you get this at Free Code Camp, but you set up a community and you're like, here's the purpose of this community. And then somebody comes in and they're like, Oh, is the purpose of the community for me to jump on the middle of the table up and down and tell you what I do for a living and sell you something? Yeah, we've we've learned a lot about running communities over the years. Uh, we had, you know, we we basically broke Slack because we were using a Slack community back before more recently, yeah. and we hit some invisible, undocumented limit—the number of people you could have in a Slack back in like 2016—and it apparently it was like 8,000. 100 and some random number, like some arbitrary number. It wasn't like a multiple of two or anything. It, we just hit it and Slack was like, oh, sorry, you can't have any more people join the Slack. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it was weird. We just had, the, we have a free account with these 14,000 people on it and they just made it a pro account for until the middle of July. And I, they, they've sponsored the podcast. I know Stuart, so I don't know if somebody at Slack was gracious enough to just up grade it because they saw it going on or if they just did that as like a little tease so we install more than 10 apps and then pay but i'm like at i think it's what is it six seven eight bucks a month for a user so i think our bill right now would be like a million dollars a year which is what they charge a fourteen thousand person company i guess which makes sense yeah yeah uh so anyway we're we have a discourse uh a discord server discord. right now and and What's the difference, by the way? Form. We'll get back to uh, Code Camp in a second, but this is a free Code Camp in a second. And by the way, I just forgot to shout out the domain name. It's freecodecamp.org. Go ahead and check it out while we're talking if you're not driving. Um, tell me the difference between Discord, because people have been telling me I made a mistake setting up a Slack. And I was like, well, all the people in my world use Slack. They're not gamers or developers. What's the, what's the key difference between Discord and Slack for large groups, large communities? I mean, I don't know what the primary feature differences would be. Oh. Our experience with Discord is it seems to be really well engineered. And uh, there's a there's a group called Reactive Flux. It's focused on React and uh, Flux and a couple other big JavaScript libraries. And they have like 80,000 people in there. Wow. And in a single instance. So we, we were like, okay, well, we may eventually have 80,000 ourselves. Uh, so it's good to know that it can capacitate that many people without problems. Yeah, we're doing just fine at 14,000. So uh, when we went to break, I wanted to know how did things change for your pre-corona quarantine and after? And then as a follow-up to that, how does one apply to get into free co-camp? Or can anybody just literally go there right now like Khan Academy and start learning? Or do you have to apply? Yeah, so the quick answer to that last part of the question is uh, anybody can just go to freecodecamp.org and click the sign-in button and you'll just jump right in, start learning. And one thing to note is we have certifications that you can earn if you build projects. They're verified certifications that live on our server and you can put them on your LinkedIn and, and resume and everything. Uh, 
you can earn those without actually having to work through all the lessons. You just have to build the five certification projects. So this is something that even more experienced developers can come in and just quickly grab some certifications. So Um, it's sort of like uh, merit badges, uh, you know, like game gamified a bit. You can, you can do that and get a badge or get a certification to put on your LinkedIn. How do you then do the certification? Cause you're, doesn't it, does a human review the code and make sure you didn't just cut and paste it or how do you certify yeah, we, somebody? Yeah, we have like plagiarism detection. We have a really strong academic on, honesty policy as well. And we, we ban a lot of people who just come in and like, oh, I'll get a certification. Yeah. Think, naively thinking that we weren't going to catch them. Uh, but most people, like a vast majority of people put in, you know, hundreds of hours building these projects. All the projects have test suites and everything. And you can host those projects on your own domain. You can host them on, uh, you know, a cloud yeah, IDE type thing. You can build them basically anywhere, and then you just give us the link, and we run the tests remotely against your your code, and and we uh, neat. You know, what is it? How much time does it take you to do that? Like a human to certify? Does it take ten minutes or an hour or five? So we give we issue the certification, then we do the uh, like we just have batch processes. Got that it. Awesome. Catch these things, and also the community. Like if they notice something fishy. Uh, on our profile, they can they can report it. Yeah, we can I mean, and also it. if you're cheating, you're only cheating yourself, as every teacher told you, and you're going to get caught anyway when you go get your job. So I mean, anybody can hack or cheat any system. We all know that, especially if you're a developer, you know that. And so, yeah, I mean, you 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 could you could have somebody go take your driver's license test for you, and then you're going to get behind the wheel of a car, and you're not going to know how to drive. So you might want to just go through the testing process yourself. So how many people a month? We're actively going through the content or taking a course uh, before coronavirus, and where is it now? You know, week six, depending on where it was you like are. Five, six, six of million, quarantine. Six million monthly unique visitors. Wow. Before, and now it's like ten or eleven million. So it's been a big increase. Double. Great. So are you raising money for this project? And uh, so we're a we're a donor supported nonprofit. And great. So you're uh, willing to convert it charity. to a for-profit. No, I mean, in a way, do you ever think about as having created this nonprofit, what if I had made this for-profit? Does that ever go through your mind? I'm curious. We're much more interested in optimizing for the long-term. And, you know, like I look at institutions that I have a lot of respect for, like the Red Cross, the YMCA, um, and, you know, Doctors Without Borders. And they have these long story paths and, um, we want to be that gener- you know, multi-generational tool. How, how much? How, what's the donation base like every year? What was it last year? What is it this year? Because you published year, all that anyway, right? It's published. Yeah, we got about $371,000. So it's not a lot of money, but it's enough to support a small team and pay for servers. Uh, we have emphasized capital efficiency and just, re- just trying to grow sustainably. Uh, we don't have any big cash donors. Uh, we, we've had people that have given, you know, a thousand here, maybe ten thousand. You don't have any there. big cash donors. Zuckerberg, Chan Zuckerberg no. Foundation, Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, Jeff Bezos. I mean, we none of those people have given you ten million dollars. I mean, didn't Gates give ten million dollars to Khan Academy? It seems like somebody should just give you at least a million bucks and get this going. So so good for sure. society. Yeah, we've helped more than 40,000 people get their first job as a developer. I mean, you know what you should do? Just thinking like a capitalist is anybody who donates six figures or more gets a thank you uh, on the homepage in an icon. And so if you're AWS, if you're Azure, having your logo there and you just say, we're going to have four tiers of logos, you know, Seven figures, six figures, and you know they're just going to be three, t- six, you know, five tiers or whatever, 
Have you ever thought about doing that and just putting up a type form and just taking their money and stripe? Because you might be able to roll back code pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to to give us a bunch of money, email right. me at Quincy at freecodecamp.org. No, even better. <laughs> freecodecamp.org slash partners. Fill out the type form. By the time this episode's come out, you can have it up. And there's, uh, I'm just letting everybody know, there's five tiers, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, 250,000, and a million. And your logo is proportional to the size of the donation. And you're ranked on the home page, and you get to have your own channel in the Slack. And I'm sorry, in the uh, Discord, to talk to them. That's it. You get a logo. I mean, it's not too much to give up. I mean, and how much? How much would Google Cloud Computing or Azure or Azure or whatever you know want Azure, to have that logo yeah. up there? I think I just yeah. raised a million dollars for you. By the way, I think I just doubled your budget. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, that'd be fantastic out. if we could get some, I mean, just in-kind donate. We get in-kind donations uh, from Bottom a lot up, of cloud the... platforms and things too. So, But yeah, uh, just large cash donations would be a big help. Is Explain to me the, um, you have 6 million people coming there. Do you track how, because one of the big things Lambda does, and you probably saw, I don't know if you saw the episodes I did on like all the criticism of Lambda, da, da, da. So I'm, I'm curious if you track outcomes yet on the site. And if you do, can you share with me some of the outcomes you've had? I mean, 6 million people coming to the site is undeniable. They're not coming there to watch like some dopey YouTuber, you know, play video games or something. They're going to the right code. So that is incredible in itself. But what, what are, the, are, you, are you tracking outcomes? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to track because most people just go and get a job and kind of silently yeah. are working. And I find out about it like through some random Reddit post or somebody tweets like, oh yeah, free code camp. Like, I, I used that, you know, three years ago when I was applying for developer jobs. So, uh, but we have an, a LinkedIn alumni network with uh, maybe like 60,000 people. 60,000, wow. Yeah, and, and more than 40,000 people have gotten a, their first developer job that we determined through, you know, analyzing the data from LinkedIn. So uh, you could say that like a lot of people, just like any free online learning resource a lot of people are gonna their eyes are gonna be bigger than their stomach but for a lot of people they actually carry through and they actually do put in the time and, and make it work explain to, explain to me um the criticism oh i'm curious what you think of lambda that was my second question there what, what do you honestly think of lambda having seen that episode and i guess people will say oh why would you go to lambda if you can just get it for free here what, what's different about the two programs in all honesty and candidness and I would think that you're kind of like a great resource for people in Lambda and a great way to, if you're not sure if you want to make the commitment to Lambda, which let's face it is a bigger commitment. Yours is no commitment. Theirs is pretty big commitment or time commitment, I should say. Um, you know, comparatively, you're you're a much less commitment. Are, are you seeing people do one and then the other? And then what do you candidly think of Lambda and Austin and what he's doing? Yeah, well, I'm grateful that there are so many different experiments being done in higher education and continuing education for adults. Um, and I'm optimistic that, you know, like across MOOCs and across online coding boot camps and across just free curricula, like free code camp, there will be something for pretty much everybody who wants to ramp up their skills. When we get back from this quick break, I want you to answer the question that a lot of people have um, and that there's a lot of cynicism about because a lot of people in Silicon Valley will say to journalists who are getting laid off, why don't you learn how to code? Or say to, you know, uh, somebody who is unemployed or even homeless, hey, why don't you learn to code? And everybody attacks and says, you people are clueless. You can't just learn to code. 
I want you to answer, do you believe anyone can code? Or if not anyone can code, what percentage of, let's just say, GED level, high school educated level Americans can code when we get back on this week of standards? Hey, listen, sometimes a business needs to pivot fast in order to meet their goals or stay afloat even. And sometimes it's impossible to meet your deadlines with the size of your current team. We have to be efficient these days, uh, especially in this climate. So where do you go to find on-demand talent? Well, finding the right freelancer is so time-consuming, it's so frustrating, and that time is costing you money. Fiverr is a platform that helps keep businesses moving with a network of trusted freelance talent. Fiverr's freelancers offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, you need a logo, a website, etc. Copywriting, you want to uh, write your fact, your FAQ, you, uh, the copy on your front page, maybe in some email marketing. They do web programming, film editing, if you want to make an explainer video or maybe some stories for your social media and more. Finding talent for your project has never been easier. You can review the seller ratings and that's just a great way to pick the right person buyer feedback of course and you can select the right freelancer based on your budget i did this recently there were some people who wanted 150 dollars an hour to write stuff and there were some people who wanted 10 dollars an hour and i was looking for somebody in the 30 dollar range man i found so many great freelancers fiverr has qualified talent that you can count on their freelancers have worked with some of the most influential brands in the world so here is your call to action Check out Fiverr.com today and receive 10% off your first order by using the code TWIST. It's so easy. Find all the digital services you need in one place at Fiverr.com. Again, F-I-V-E-R-R.com and use that code TWIST. It's Fiverr with two R's, F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code TWIST. And the interface is spectacular. I mean, I think you could find some notes of what to do in your startup when you see how well they run their marketplace. Use that promo code TWIST, please. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, Quincy Larson is here. Follow him on the Twitter, O-S-S-I-A. He is the founder of freecodecamp.org from 2014 to present. We've got a modest bottom-up donation of $400,000 coming in a year or so to run this very modest operation that's having extraordinary impact in the world. If you've got a bunch of money and you've got some product that you could help, uh, that you want to get in front of 6 million developers a month, uh, or people who want to be developers, even better, uh, just go to freecocamp.org slash partners, where you can donate between 25 and 250 or even a million dollars to freecodecamp.org. I just made that URL. You, will you put that URL up <laughs> now that I've done this? I'm building, I'm, I'm already an advisor to Free Code Camp now and an investor in Lambda. Uh, you, you remember my question from the break? Yes. Can anyone become a developer? And I'll just take a US-centric point of view so people have their bearings here. Yeah, I mean, like I, I'm, I've got to qualify that because I don't think just anybody can become a developer, frankly. Like you have to, you have to have sufficient motivation. So I'd say any sufficiently motivated person can become a developer. Now, you might think like, oh, well, what if you're blind? How would you become a developer if you're blind? Well, there's a significant portion of people in the free code game community who are blind uh, and many of whom work as developers now uh, and contribute like or, or moderate free code camp. So even something like blindness, which seems like it might be some sort of inassailable problem, how would you overcome that? It can be overcome with sufficient motivation. The tools are out there. It's just a matter of figuring out how you can budget your time and how you can stay, you know, fired up about learning to code because it's a long, difficult process and it's relatively ambiguous. 
we do our best to take the ambiguity out of learning to code by just having a single linear curriculum that everybody does and having, you know, a forum and having a chat room where you can go to get inspiration, all those things. Uh, at the end of the day, though, it's ultimately up to you and how bad you want it. And even if you do learn to code really well, you still have to go out and get a job and skills are just one component of that. Having a network, having a reputation, those are other really vital things. So uh, being able to get a job can be a slog. And even if you're a really great developer, it can take you know hundreds of applications before you actually get somebody who's willing to take a chance on you. So especially I'm, I'm, I'm going to just repeat back what you said to me, just so I'm clear. What we, in your estimation, having seen people who are blind which would seem like a non-starter for being able to code uh, or be a, a incredibly challenging, and it must be incredibly challenging. You have a significant number of people who are blind who are going through CodeCamp. So in your estimation, what we lack is not an opportunity to learn to code, but a lack of motivation and discipline to learn to code. Is that correct? Yeah, and to be fair, like not everybody has the circumstances where they can allocate time. People have kids, they have jobs, they have uh, aging parents. They have other obligations. So, but I mean, and it's interesting because based on your reaction, I can tell that you too may have been uh, in this position where if you say something like, what we lack is not opportunity. And the way I'm saying it is very specific to trigger snowflakes out there uh, on Twitter. And I hope they cancel me because working sucks, man. I've been working really hard. Please cancel me for this comment. What we lack is not opportunity. What we lack is discipline and motivation to do this. And then you came back to me with a response of, well, but also, Jason, please do consider that people might be single parents. You didn't say single parents, but I'm going to say that single parents, they lack time, they lack uh, this, this you know, uh, opportunity. Certainly, that is the case as well. But to become a basic level programmer, let's just unpack this to be clear. To become a basic programmer, who can build, you know, let's just say Shopify level, Squarespace level websites, uh, the 1.0 version of Twitter. To do something in that range, a Shopify site, a 1.0 version of Twitter, something like that. How many hours of learning to code for the average American would be necessary? Well, I mean, you can build those and you'll build those as part of Free Code Camp's curriculum. Uh, like our current curriculum has 30 projects that you're you build in, and we're getting ready to move to a completely project-oriented learning curriculum. Amazing. So how many hours would it take for somebody to do that, to, to build that 1.0 version of Twitter, you know, basic Squarespace, e-commerce-enabled website? I mean, it's going to depend on like how much of a pre-existing math, computer science theory. Let's just say you suck at math or you're average at high school math in America. Like if you were just like a total high school graduate who just yeah. had like the, the common core type Common core or less. Through high school. Yeah, kind of. Or less. Yeah. Or less. Common core or less. Yeah. Uh, let's say you, you can basically, you can you can read and you can do very basic math. Sure. And you have very basic critical thinking skills. But you're motivated. Uh, so how many hours? But you're motivated. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say probably within, uh, you know, 2,000 hours, you could be building Great. pretty sophisticated applications. So in 2,000 hours, you're sophisticated. Just so people know, there's 50 weeks in a year. You take two off for vacation, it's 40 hours a week. When most people calculate somebody's work, they actually calculate it based on 47 weeks because you have other weeks off. And uh, 47 times 40, you kind of get into the range of people work 1,800 to 2,000 hours a full time. If you were to do this part time, the average American watches four or five hours of television per day. Per day. 
So the average American, and they do this day in and day out. They don't take a day off from this. It's not like work. Average American's watching about 1,800 hours of TV a year, 1,500 hours of TV a year. Go ahead and look it up. If an American just swapped out half their TV time, what you're telling me is in 18 months or so, they could be building significant applications by only cutting half their television time viewing, just to do back-of-the-envelope math. And this is where I think a lot of the arguments about the system being rigged that I opened the show with and people being unable to get sales, I believe it's a false narrative that, in some cases, very liberal people are putting out there that you do not have the ability to change your station in life. You do not have the ability to learn this. This is something from the ivory tower that you're just not allowed to do. Do you agree that, do you agree with my basic premise here? Well, you have to believe that it's possible and that you can, that you can in fact do it. And you're going to have to push back against a lot of people who are going to tell you, oh, well, just stick with what you're good at. Or um, like, what makes you think that you could do this? You're, you know, a high school dropout or you're, you know, just like a a janitor at some sort of uh, facility or you're you're working as a, a checker at a grocery store. Like, what makes you think that you could learn this really sophisticated skill and go out there and build something that would be helpful or maintain an existing project you have to be able to push through those people and you have to be able to say you know i don't care what the social conventions are i'm going to go for this um and that's that's a big reason why there has to be kind of a tribe that you can join yeah uh, there has to be like a, a community and you have to be plugged in with people um in preferably locally in in person through a hacker space or through some in-person meetups so you can stay motivated because a lot of society is telling you just stay where you are or, oh, th- you're not meant to do this because you didn't go to college or, oh, you went to college and you studied Spanish. Is, yeah. This is a tremendous insight, Quincy. Um, and I think most people are reticent to say it, but the company you keep and the people around you can sometimes want to keep you down in the ditch where they are. And it, you see parents do it inadvertently. You can see peer groups do it. You can even see teachers. When I went into my... Uh, when I was at Severian High School, and there's a reason why there's no building at Severian High School with my name on it, even though they've asked me over and over again, is I wouldn't give them a dollar. Um, and they, uh, I went into my counselor and he said, hey, you know, what are you thinking about for college? And I said, I read about Brown. And they said at Brown University, you can make whatever a degree you want. You can like make your own thing. And I have an idea. I want to do like this like human computer thing. And the, literally the counselor laughed in my face. He said, Jason, you have a 71 three-year average. You cannot go to Brown. And there, there was such a better way to say that, but it scarred me or just hit me so hard. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm an idiot, right? I, I'm just not capable of that. Okay, well, what was I thinking? You know, I kind of left there and I was just like, what was I thinking? I was a sophomore, I think. They do this like very early on. Uh, and I think that this is a tremendous, tremendous insight from you, which is if you're hanging out with people who believe it and you yourself believe it, you can do it. And give me a story of a a person who you've met, you've worked with, who you think, you don't have to say their name. You you can just give us the the composite of the person, um, if you're comfortable with that, or you can make a composite of multiple people, but a person who you have, who just shines as, Somebody who, you know, started from the bottom is now at the top or is on their way to the top. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, one of our early contributors uh, was in the Army, and he'd been basically career in the U.S. Army. He didn't go to college. It just wasn't for him. He didn't have the discipline to sit down in a, in a desk, and uh, so he wanted to go out in the field, and he was doing bomb disposal. 
and uh, you know he did tours in Iraq uh, and maybe in Afghanistan. I can't remember. He did one or both. Um, and I met him because he was just at home, like pounding on the keyboard, like checking in code, uh, doing uh, tons of pull requests to our uh, open source code repository. And I was like, who is this guy? And he was just so motivated. And it was clear that like he'd been doing bomb disposal for like 10 plus years and, and just didn't have real big expectations for what he was going to do. He, he was just cool with that. And then at some point something clicked and he's like, no, I can do a lot more. Um, and he went through the community uh, and just helped contribute to the code base, went through the projects, uh, got a job at MongoDB. And now he's, what? he's a software engineer in New York City. Wow. Yeah. This is an incredible story for so many reasons. But your Hurt Locker bomb disposal guy, by the way, great freaking film, uh, just incredible. Um, and uh, and by the way, the director did Strange Days too, completely underrated science fiction film about the turn of the millennium with a lot of incredible ideas about virtual reality. You're, you're nodding, you've seen it, huh? Just a great film. Oh yeah, I loved it as a kid because it came out right when I was like, you know, seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, uh, right I was around the yeah. time of the millennium. Time so. of the millennium. I mean, Strange Days, just amazing, amazing. Just so many great concepts. You know, uh, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but a lot of great concepts. Um, putting that aside, this is a problem in society. Somebody who had the chutzpah, cojones, ability to walk up to a goddamn bomb and disarm it in a bomb suit may have for a moment thought that writing code was just too big of a challenge for them. You know what? If you can raise a kid, if you can disable a bomb, if you can deal with you know, running into a burning building, whatever it is that you're doing in your life. If you, I mean, if you can shine shoes for 10 hours a day and deal with the intensity of that, you can go learn to code. We've established that here. We need to get people to just believe they can do it. It's a lack of support in the world for human ingenuity and human, the, the triumph of the human spirit is something that people just diminish constantly. It's almost like there's a narrative where people want to believe that this door and this route is not there. When we get back from this final break, I want you to tell me about what would be the easiest path for somebody to get a paying job? If they could learn only one skill, even if it's outside of developing or adjacent to it, like UX or no code, I want your thoughts on no code as well. But what would be the clearest path if I said, you know what, I want to put in 500, 1,000 hours and I want to get a job. I don't. I just need a job because we got a lot of people who have no jobs. I just want a job. It could be a 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 dollar job, a $20 an hour job. What's the quickest path for somebody with no experience coding to use your service or adjacent services to just get back in the uh, pool of the employed, you know, because we're going to need to do that with the 26 million people as of the taping of this who are unemployed uh, when we get back on this week of startups. It's 2020 and you are still using one of these big wireless providers. Have you ever asked yourself, what the heck are you paying for? I mean, think about what these expensive retail stores cost. Think about the inflated prices, all these hidden fees, the sticker shock you get when you get your bill. You're being taken advantage of. They know it. You know it. They know you're going to pay. You have no choice. Well, there's one thing we've learned from the direct-to-consumer revolution here in startup land, DTC. It's that companies like Warby Parker or Casper or Dollar Shave Club, they all made better products than the incumbents, and they saved us money. And that's why we are so happy as consumers. We're saving money, and we're getting more. 
Well, Mint Mobile is the new way to buy wireless services for your phone and your tablet. It provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, no difference there, but for a fraction of the cost. How do they do it? No retail locations, no hassle, and everything is digital, just like buying a Tesla. So, those savings are passed directly on to you, and you don't need to deal with annoying salespeople or account people or customer support people trying to get you to not cancel and unknown billing. It's all super simple. Mint Mobile can cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. I'm not even kidding. You'll never pay for unused, unlimited data again, and you get to choose a plan between 3, 8, and 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. And you can upgrade at any time. They make it super easy through their web portal. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, of course. And you keep your same phone. You keep your same number. And you got all your same contacts on the phone. They flipped the model on its head and made it customer-centric. Ditch your old wireless bill and start saving money today with Mint Mobile. It is awesome. Here's your CTA and call to action. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your front door free, no stores, no nonsense. Go to mintmobile.com slash twist. Mintmobile.com slash twist. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash twist. And listen, sometimes you pay for these things, and you and I know this. You're on your Wi-Fi at home. You're on your Wi-Fi at work. You're at the Wi-Fi at the cafe, and you're not using these unlimited data plans. So you're getting ripped off. Stop getting ripped off and get better service at mintmobile.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow, the director of uh, The Hurt Locker, one of my favorite films. I know some people felt she didn't deserve the Oscar for that. There were some other better films that year, but I think that's a triumph of a film. And I think Strange Days was an amazing film as well. That's a, that's a director I'd love to direct, man. If we could do some off-topic episodes, Catherine Bigelow would be an incredible interview. Uh, my guest today, Quincy Larson, uh, he is the founder of Free Code Camp, freecodecamp.org. If you want to sponsor and send them 25, 50, 100K, where are you, Jeff Bezos? Where are you, Sergey Brin? Let's get some Satya. Let's go. Let's let's get some cash over to this very important project, freecodecamp.org slash partners. If you want to give them money, there's a form there. Tell me your uncle Jason sent you. Um, what's the clearest path for somebody who's unemployed to get a job? What would you say to learn? If they learn no code, would that be the way to do it? UX? be able to build wireframes, functional wireframes. What's the quickest path to get a job through coding? Yeah, so I was just learning JavaScript really well. JavaScript is the lingua franca of the web. It's been around for you know 20 plus years. Microsoft's investing heavily in it. Google's investing heavily. Facebook, of course, created React. They're investing heavily in it. Uh, it's not going anywhere. And you can do pretty much anything with it. Uh, you know, you can learn HTML basics, CSS basics in like a few days, and then you can just go really deep on JavaScript. Now, um, you asked about no code and I think no code's amazing. And, uh, a lot of what I did when I was first trying to automate parts of my school was use what I guess in the back in the day would be called no code, right? Like Excel macros and use this tool called auto hotkey to like programmatically click on things. There's some great scraping tools that are essentially no code. You just uh, use like a Chrome plugin or something like that. Select the elements you want, and then it'll iterate through all the pages. There are lots of tools like that. No code is is kind of a uh, buzzword, not not to disparage it, but that's it's basically a new name for a phenomenon that already existed but didn't already have. Like a, a people used to call it scripting, name. maybe or macros. Yeah. Uh, or workflow. I guess there are a lot of different names that people would refer to and they would diminish it. But the truth is a lot of the stuff that you would hire a developer for 10 or 20 years, 20 years ago on the web can be accomplished with Squarespace, Slack, Zapier, Notion, a lot of this API kind of glue. 
um, Webflow, uh, Bubble. There's a bunch of these. We've had a bunch of them on the show as well. If you had to choose going as a no-code script kitty or learning JavaScript, would you do one first than the other? Or how would you tell a friend who said, should I go all in on no code or should I go all in on JavaScript? What would your advice to them be? They say, listen, I'm gonna put, a, I'm gonna put 500 to 1,000 hours in a year for the next two or three years. What, what should I do in what order? Yeah, well, I would learn. Uh, I mean, if you have opportunities at work to apply no code tools to like make yourself more productive, that's a great place to start. But there's not really any substitute for actually learning how things work. Uh, and it's, you know, the fundamentals, it, people act like, oh my gosh, I'll learn it and then it'll just be obsolete a few days later or a few months later or whatever. But most of what you'd be learning, if you just learn a single scripting language really comprehensively, whether that's Python or JavaScript, you would be learning the same kind of computer science fundamentals that were pioneered in like the 30s, 40s, 50s and refined. You'd be learning the same kind of mathematics and algorithms that can go way, way back to human, uh, you know, like the ancient Greeks. <laughs> ancient, uh, you know, Mesopotamians. Uh, so a lot of those fundamentals are going to continue to be just as good. And if you can learn them now and reap the dividends going forward, or you can kind of be more of a technician as opposed to an engineer where you're just grabbing this P this part and you don't know how it works, but you know that it does work and you plug it into the other thing. So it, no code is kind of like the, the really, really, really high level of abstraction using something like JavaScript is like a few layers of abstraction lower and much more flexible as a result. It, it, no code is the biggest asset to developers. Uh, it's not necessarily business people because developers know exactly how things work and they, they can just save tons of time by grabbing, you know, by using Zapier or using Ift or some of these other tools to like pipe together different services uh, instead of having to build an API. And because they've got that engineer's mindset that they built uh, up over the years, they can look at a problem and decide, does this require custom code that I should maintain? Or should I just grab an off-the-shelf solution that somebody else is going to maintain for me? And when people look at the marketplace, a lot of times people say, I'm confused if I should learn like a JavaScript, Python, and go web, or I should learn how to do apps. Which is a better career? Which is more sought after? And then talk to me about the difficulty level of app building I know that there's React, I guess, and Swift and a lot of different ways to build apps. But I know with my startups, finding a world-class iOS developer seems to be the hardest thing in the world to do. And they're incredibly well sought after. Uh, and they're incredibly well compensated. I see JavaScript people getting work from home, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90,000. But I see on the cap tables, you know, these elite iOS engineers getting 125, 150, 175, even 200K. So talk to me about app building. Yeah, well, it's just like specialization. I mean, you should learn web development first because that's the foundation. Like mobile apps, if they have a backend, they're web apps essentially because you're going to have some sort of API that's, that's piping data to the client, uh, the mobile app that's running on somebody's phone. Uh, if you look at like Uber or some of these other really complicated apps, I would be willing to bet that they have a lot more people working on the different APIs and services on the back end than are working on the iOS app itself. Uh, what I would recommend you do is just be, be a generalist first, get a developer job and specialize with where the company has work for you to do. And if that's moving into mobile app development, great. If that's, if that's uh, creating some machine learning uh, training models and things like that, great, do that. 
or if that's uh, just learning a whole lot more statistics and becoming a data scientist, great. But knowing how to code is kind of like the baseline skill that pretty much everybody needs to have in order to be able to unlock the next tier of developer jobs above that. So you're not going to be able to skip from not knowing how to code to working as a mobile app developer generally uh, because you'd be skipping a whole lot of foundational tools. Uh, it's much better to just try to work in linear order and then it gives you a lot more flexibility and a lot stronger foundation to stand on. I'm not saying it's out of out of any possibility that you'd be able to go directly into a mobile app development job, but I'm, I'm saying that most of those people who go in there have already worked as web developers and are further specializing into that area. What percentage of uh, the people coming to your website and the percentage of people who are actually getting certificates are non-U.S.? It's about uh, 30% U.S. and the rest is like wow. Europe, Asia, Africa, Latin America, um, Oceanica. So like everybody in the world. Right. Uh, the biggest countries though are definitely the U.S., India, Nigeria, China, um, and Brazil is a big one too, Russia, like places that have a lot of people. <laughs> places with a lot of people. Um, if If you had to pick a country that has surprised you with the intensity and motivation to learn, I'm more, more specific than just raw numbers, but the engagement and intensity, like you saw that, uh, you know, Hurt Locker bomb diffuser and you noticed they were pushing uh, a lot of code. What's the country or two that you've been like, whoa, a lot of like really deep commitment and intensity. I found that with entrepreneurship in Australia, where I was just shocked at the intensity level felt like the Australians in some cases were not only matching the, the American Silicon Valley, you know, intensity, but in some cases exceeding it, like they wanted it more. Who wants it? Who really wants it out there in terms of learning to code countries? Yeah. I mean, Ni Nigeria immediately comes to mind. There are so many ambitious developers in Nigeria who are um, creating courses and, and writing libraries and uh, putting themselves out there, you know, creating YouTube channels, creating podcasts, uh, it's, it's really impressive what, the, and I think it's, you know, they've got like a very entrepreneurial culture there and they're making things happen. It's really impressive. What do you think the post coronavirus world, as we, as we sort of get to the grounding third base here on the podcast, what do you think the, the post coronavirus, post pandemic world looks like? People seem to think there's some change of remote work and uh, companies embracing remote work. Uh, and let's face it, tech, tech companies were already doing that, but now they're going 100% remote from, you know, they were arguably 5 to 50%, but now everybody's getting a quick lesson in being 100% remote. I would think that this goes in your um, favor, but what do you think the post-coronavirus world looks like specifically for developers? Yeah, well, I think that it's going to accelerate a lot of trends that were already there, like the trend to, you know, ditch the office and have uh, remote teams. And FreeCodeCamp's always been remote. Uh, we've just always brought on people from whichever country, wherever they happen to be. It's not practical to relocate people to a country and uh, have to deal with the visa restrictions and, and you know try to get people together in a physical office. And a lot of people have kids and all that stuff. So I think remote is part of it. Asynchronous is another part. Uh, so I'm hopeful that this that this pandemic, if there's a silver lining of this pandemic, that it's going to be that there was a proof of concept that there was a time when most people worked remotely and it worked out and now employers can't say, oh, working remote doesn't work. Maybe there will be some data that suggests that uh, remote work isn't as 
uh, productive, but all the research that had been conducted prior to the pandemic suggests that working remotely was more productive. You don't have a commute. You don't have a lot of the distractions you have in the office. You can just sit in your home office and get things done there. So I'm optimistic that that'll make a big, big difference. Yeah. I, I think it will. Um, for uh, Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. For those of you uh, who want to get involved, please go to freecodecamp.org. Follow Free Code Camp on the Twitter. Uh, and you have the largest YouTube channel for programming with over 2 million or nearly 2 million subscribers. I'm assuming that's youtube.com slash freecodecamp. That's correct. Uh, so everybody go subscribe to that right now. Uh, they have 10 free verified certifications uh, in the front end, back end, scientific computing, security, machine learning, and over 3,000 or so, or around 3,000 hours of coursework. Over 40,000 people got their first developer job after completing at least one part of the curriculum. So this is the real deal. It's free. And, uh, you know, Lambda, I think, is probably a little more high touch. You get to, you know, uh, maybe... Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a, just a different program. It's more high touch, right? And it's... Uh, you're going to probably be in there for eight hours a day. More structured, I guess, is the way I would say it. So if you're just getting started, you don't have any money, free CoCap. If you're just getting started on money and you have more time, I guess Lambda sounds like a good option and probably both. I'm sure Lambda, does Lambda use any of your courseware as part of their courseware or link people to it? I don't know. A lot of uh, coding boot camps and a lot of universities are increasingly using free CoCamps courses. And that's something we are happy about because we created these, the community created these to help as many people as possible. Our mission is just to help as many people as possible learn to code. So we're happy if, if other organizations are picking these resources up and using them. Hey, tell me about this fun project you did as we wrap here about the um, programmer developer cards. Yeah, so uh, there was this, in during the first Gulf War, um, actually maybe in the second Gulf War, uh, there uh, the U.S. government, the military, was giving out these decks of cards, and yes. they had like all these Iraqi officials um, and you know people essentially suspected of war crimes, uh, and so people would be in the barracks just playing cards in between uh, different missions and stuff. And uh, as a result, a whole lot of uh, officers and, and people out in the field were able to successfully identify yeah. these Iraqi. Uh, you know, potential war criminals and bring them to justice. And a big part of that was that they were seeing the faces and the names over and over while they were playing cards and they were able to recognize them. They're like, oh, that's that guy from the Ace of Spades, <laughs> you know? No, I mean, it uh, was so, like literally um, Saddam Hussein's like kids were each, you know, whatever, kings or jokers or whatever. And you're playing cards there and you're learning the names. It's a brilliant idea. They should do it for America's most wanted. Like the most wanted, the FBI most wanted list should be a deck of cards. I don't know why it's not. Yeah, so we thought, let's teach people using the same method, like yeah. not random people wanted, but actual important developers throughout software history, uh, you know, from Ada Lovelace all the way up to Satoshi Nakamoto, right? Let's let's have some information about them, have a picture if one's available, and uh, and you can read about some of their accomplishments, some of their contributions to software development. And so we published a thousand packs of these. We, we could probably do a second run. Wow, uh, we, so smart. Yeah, we printed them in China on PVC, so it's super durable cards. I don't know. You play you play poker, I so play you might too much tell poker, me you, yeah. Especially now in you Corona prefer land. PVC to paper or paper to PVC? Well, yeah, they're, basically there are cards that just are harder to mark, harder to bend. And so one of the tricks with card marking is like, you know, it's not just marking the card. You could also put a little kind of like 
indentation on it. Like if you had a nail, you could use your nail to put a little indentation somewhere. And then if the light hits it in the right way, you could see it. But yeah, these are hilarious. We should do this for entrepreneurs. Uh, Nick, take a memo. Like maybe we'll do this next year, the This Week in Startups deck. Uh, and we'll put like guests on it and different uh, different famous entrepreneurs and what they did. That would be hilarious. Uh, great sure, idea. If you need help manufacturing them, I've got a I've got a place where you yeah, where there, we there are people who do ours. this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then there's also yeah. if you have a shuffle master, which is like the thing that automatically shuffles cards. I'm not saying I have one or I don't. Um, you're not allowed to have them um, as private citizens. Uh, but those shuffle masters need a certain type of card that can can go through them, and there's like a whole standard. Um, and then you know there's this whole card sorting uh, thing that Phil um, uh, Ivy was involved in where. There were certain imperfections in the cutting of certain decks where, you know, if you looked at the deck and you turned it around a couple of times, you could see on the edge if it was a face card or not. Because the cards, just when they would print them in sheets and then cut them, there was just a tiny little imperfection. And so I guess Phil Ivey went to play Baccarat in Atlantic City and London and just took basically said, I want to bet this much per hand. I want to have this lucky person with me. And I want you to turn the cards like and rotate them and I want to have a $10 million line. And he's, cause you know, when you're a big whale, you can go set up like whatever you want to do when you play. Like you literally could say, I want to have a dealer who's this height, who's this race, this gender. Uh, and I want the room empty and I want the lighting at this. I want the temperature at that. Like literally people do this. It's crazy. Um, and I want this beverage and this bottle with this many ice cubes. Like you can literally do whatever you want. Uh, and they, he wound up getting sued and I think he lost and, at least one of them, if not both, and they didn't pay him out in one, and they are trying to get the money back from the other. It was basically like sophisticated cheating um, or getting an edge um, would be the charitable uh, thing. But it was pretty interesting as a concept. All right, great job on the pod, uh, Quincy. Continued success. Thanks for doing what you're doing in the world, uh, and we'll see you Absolutely. all uh, next time on. And let me just say again to the people out there fighting the good fight against the coronavirus and uh, keeping us safe. Thank you, thank you to those folks, your heroes, and. Uh, you know, we, we you might not hear it every day, uh, but you can be sure that we're thinking about you out there. Stay safe, everybody. Keep your distance. Wear your mask. You know what to do. Uh, and let's get back to work soon. And take care of, uh, let's all take care of the people out there who are suffering. If you know somebody's suffering, you know, it doesn't take much to just give a simple gift card or send some food to somebody you know is out of work or even send a nice message to them. I'll see you all inside the Slack this week at startups.com slash Slack. Bye-bye. <laughs>